What's up, everybody? Let's spend some yarn. So uh, today, I'm going to talk about standards. Uh, it's something that's, something that's been bouncing around in my head for a couple of weeks now. I kind of mentioned it on one of the recent Spin the Yarns a little bit. Um, something that I've kind of been writing stuff down about. Uh, just little notes. I have this habit. Uh, it gives I get ideas that pop into my head during conversations or trainings or meetings or whatever. Uh, to talk to you guys about and, and standards keeps coming up and it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up. Uh, so I wrote down like a, half a page in my little pocketbook uh, today about just standards and, and kind of some of the things that I want to talk about as I uh, continue to have this just consistently come up. And we're going to be talking about it a lot soon. Uh, I just shared a bunch of stuff on social media about uh, it's it's Chiefs Missy Eve, right? Where it's like results are uh, coming out to the triads tomorrow. So we're going to have a bunch of uh, brand new Chief Selects running around the Navy. And uh, during the initiation season, you're going to hear a lot about standards. What are your standards? Standards, standards, standards. You got to enforce the standard, right? And you hear about it, a lot about it now. Uh, you'll probably hear a lot about it just from your chief in normal conversations. You're going to be talking about like, this This isn't our standard or our standards are this, this, and this, and this is what you got to do to uh, to meet those standards or this is the standard and this is you know what we expect you to do. And You're going to consistently hear the word standards. So I, I guess I just want to talk about what it means, provide a little bit of clarity. When you hear that, it's kind of like I, I've, I've spent more time hearing somebody say, that's not the standard, then I've had people communicate to me what the standard is. It's it's kind of like using the term they, uh, or like they may, they did this and they did that, and they're the reason this is all screwed up, right? Like who is they, <laughs> right? So so a lot of times we're they, right, as, as leadership. And so uh, when, when a leader says, we're gonna create this set of standards, or we're gonna make this a standard, or this is the standard, or you're not meeting the standard, what is the standard? Uh, and then kind of why it's important and uh, kind of how you arrive at them and uh, why they why they really why it's such a big deal. Um, and I'm just going to kind of go over some of the reasons why it's been uh, bouncing around in my head and it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up. Uh, so I want to talk about that. Uh, this may turn into a full fledged episode depending on how long this takes me to record. But if it doesn't, I'll just edit that out. So uh, so. As I've heard it come up recently in the context that I've heard it come up, uh, it, it comes up and we initially kind of take it for granted by just saying that, well, that's a standard. Well, okay, so you're, you're telling me that's a standard. How do I know that that's a standard? What is a standard? What do, how do I, like, how do I... Uh, how do I take that on board and use that in some kind of tangible way to make myself and the organization better, right? So a standard is exactly what it sounds like in that uh, it's the same all the time, right? So you're going to create some kind of a policy uh, or some kind of a rule or some kind of a behavior that the expectation is that everyone's going to follow and conform to that, right? It's very, it's a very military thing, right? They expect you uh, to conform at all times. Like, uh, I'm going to show my age a little bit here with this story, but, uh, back in the day, uh, there was a thing in boot camp called service week. Uh, to my knowledge, it does not exist anymore. I think it actually went away shortly after I, uh, I left RTC way back in the, uh, early two thousands, very early two thousands, uh, like the very beginning of 2002. And, uh, 
they had us basically run around and do all kinds of things. A lot of it was centered around the galley. Of course, my being uh, uh, rated as a CS at the time, well, MS, uh, that far back. They had me in the galley with a bunch of other sailors from uh, my division and like my sister division, and we were uh, we were running like a certain area, like a certain chow line, uh, and they had swabbies and they were like FSAs basically, and uh, then they had like line captains and assistant line captains. You're you're literally FSAs, but there were so many FSAs that there's almost like a little FSA chain of command. And anyway, so we were running around wearing those paper hats that you see the uh, the FSAs wear on the ships now still. Uh, and they were all labeled with our little positions, so like Swabby and Line Captain and all that stuff. And um, we, you just followed the group that came before you. They kind of teach teach you what to do and how to behave and what the expectation is. Um, nobody in the galley was spending any time showing us what to do. It was all just passed down from recruit to recruit. Uh, and so we like labeled our hats and we, some, you'd write some stuff on it. Like if you were the outgoing group and there was a new group there that you were training, you'd write uh, retired in parentheses, like whatever your position was, but retired. I don't know if everybody was doing it. I think they were. I think that's what I remember seeing. But I remember uh, an R- RDC uh, came up and basically lit me up about having that written on my hat. And I didn't know how to respond to that because I was just doing what I saw everybody else doing. And I thought it was what I was supposed to be doing. And uh, I was trying to conform to what I saw around me and and do the right thing. Uh, But in the absence of any training or communication of that standard other than what I just saw happening around me, I conformed to what was happening around me. Uh, And and I remember the RDC being like, hey, and he said my name and he's like, do you think you're an individual? I'm like, yeah, and, and that, that you can imagine how that ended. Uh, I mean, I, yes, petty officer, yes, chief, I don't even remember who it was, uh, but it, I answered the question, yes, whatever, and obviously the answer that they want is no, I don't. I think I'm a sailor and I, just like everybody else and blah, 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 but they expect and demand uh, that you conform. So with that in mind, standards are a way in which they expect you to conform, right? So there's going to be a standard across the board for a lot of things. Uh, and then there's there's different things, right? So some standards are based on policy. Some standards are separate from that in the absence of a policy. Uh, some of them are like large Navy-wide standards, and then some of them are more like organizational standards that your chain of command is going to come up with, your chief smith is going to come up with, whatever, right? But the standard is something they expect everybody to conform to. Okay, so that's great if everything is done correctly and and it's communicated and trained on, et cetera, which I'm gonna get into. But uh, if you create a standard, number one, right? Like say, that, that, that's where it starts. The inception here is that you have to create a standard. So you have to like identify where the need is and then say, okay, I need to standardize that process by saying this is how we're gonna do this thing all the time. So you create that, you have to follow it. And that's a problem that I see on a small scale all the way up to a large scale, right? So some examples are, uh, we just talked at some meetings today about there are things that people need to review on a daily basis, uh, like certain direction from the triad, right? That if you're you're on duty or you're watching it or you have to review it, you have to initial it, right? Uh, just a little admin thing. Uh, the expectation is that you do that, right? It's a standard that supervisors and certain watch standards will review these orders, initial, call it a day, right? It, 
people aren't initialing it. It's not that they're not reviewing it. It's just they're not initialing it. And then no one is going back and saying, hey, you didn't initial this and getting them to initial it. So let's say I'm going in for duty and I don't initial it. And then right behind me, there's a second class that goes through and reads it. And I he, like I don't I didn't initial it. It's not a big deal to me. I didn't take it seriously. Or you see multiple supervisors, supervisory initials or signatures that aren't there. Then it's not important to them. It's not important to me. Right. So they're not going to take it seriously. So that's it's a small example, but it's something that is going to have a pretty broad impact uh, where that process, it's obviously important. It's a standard and we're not following our own standards. So it's an example, albeit small, or at least you think it's small, is going to provide a data point for everybody that's watching you to think that that standard's not important. And that's how you immediately lose credibility That and that standard becomes just a joke and then it kind of fades to black, right? It's something that is not going to be enforceable because you're not following it. And so if you create a standard and you want everybody to follow it, you have to follow it too. You're you're not exempt. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. And an example of that is I consistently struggle to keep officers' hands out of their pockets. It's just a thing. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know if it's a submarine thing or if it's a Navy-wide thing. And when corrected, they fix themselves. Some of them are kind of frustrated about it. Most of them are really cool about it. And just like junior sailors, it's not it's not localized, right? A junior sailors do it all the time too. I catch chiefs all the time too, and I call them out on it, and they usually laugh. And there's a colorful exchange, and then they take their hands out of their pockets. But it's a it's a thing that I see all the time. And the the problem there is that. Junior sailors are junior sailors, right? They're going to test the boundaries uh, and, and they're going to do things a lot of times because they think that that thing is stupid and uh, they don't agree with it. And and as they progress, they'll learn why it's important and why standards are important. And as they're in leadership positions, they'll appreciate that in order for big things to get done, little things need to get done. And in order for little things to get done, they're going to have to create standards and lead by example and do all the small things along with the big things. Otherwise, people aren't going to take you seriously. So I consistently struggle, uh, especially with like senior senior officers, <laughs> uh, to get them to when they're standing in front of a large group of sailors to take their hands out of their pockets. It immediately uh, handicaps us in that I you know, I tell a junior sailor to get his hands out of his pockets, and he's like, "Well, Commander so and so's got their hands in their pockets, so why can't I?" And it's like, well, "How do you argue with that? Like, what am I supposed to say?" okay, you're right. Uh, I told Commander so-and-so to get their hands out of their pockets, but they outrank me. So if they decide to just continue being wrong, what I mean, I did what I could. Maybe I go above their head to their boss and mention it, but I mean, there's only so much you can do. You can continue to mention it, continue to call them out on it uh, in the most professional manner possible, obviously, because there's other repercussions if you get unprofessional. But you know, you do what you can. Uh, the problem is if you create a standard like the Navy did with don't put your hands in your pockets and then no one follows it because that's that it's there's a large group of people from junior enlisted all the way to the very senior uh, officers that are not just blatantly not following it then people don't take it seriously. And that's why I can't walk 100 yards across base without seeing somebody with their hands in their pockets. So it that's an example of it, right? Regardless of if you agree with it, if you think it's stupid, uh, it doesn't make sense, it's not enforced, blah, blah, blah. It's There's a, a standard there. There's a rule there. There's a policy there. And you have to follow it. It's what you're getting paid for. Um, but 
an example being those two things. And if you don't follow it, it's not going to be a standard because no one's going to follow it because they're not going to take it seriously. It's like a cycle. So, uh, okay. So you've created your standard, right? You're the only one that knows, right? So you've created your standard. That's neat. You can't then skip five steps and go straight to why aren't you conforming to the standard, right? It's like if they had written down, don't put your hands in your pockets in a book somewhere and then like hit it on someone's desk and then just started blasting everybody for having their hands in their pockets. It doesn't work that way. And I consistently, this this blows my mind still to, to this day that people bring this up. Um, I have had a commanding officer bring this up to me uh, about where is it written that you can't have your hands in your pockets? And I'm like, are really? U.S. Navy uniform regulations, like, page one <laughs> like it says it in very explicitly uh and I, i'm i'm using this as an example i'm not like rapping getting hung up on the hands in their pockets thing even though i do but i know it's not the first time you've heard me talk about this but uh it's something that it's it's not been made a secret uh and that's a good thing that's how you that's step two right is so you created your standard you can't keep it a secret so you have to you guessed it, communicate your standard. And there is not, and I hate the word over-communicate because there's no such thing and it's just a stupid play on words, but uh, you can't communicate enough. Like you, any form in which you can communicate your standard, you need to be doing that. Uh, the, the most common feedback that I've gotten from junior sailors is we didn't know. And whether or not that's an excuse or is genuine, which I think a lot of times it's genuine, that that something happens uh, in the upper echelons and it just never makes it to the deck plate. Uh, it doesn't matter. You should be using every available mechanism to just bombard junior sailors with information because that's what happens is stuff gets lost in translation, stuff gets missed or forgotten. Somebody, if you have a meeting and then the expectation is that the supervisors that are at that meeting are taking notes and then passing that down to junior sailors. They get busy, they get distracted, they forget to write something down. Maybe they were daydreaming about something they got going on at home, right? You can't rely on one mechanism. Like uh, for for us on submarines, a lot of times they're like, well, it was in the plan of the day. Well, that's cute. Like maybe I read the plan of the day. Maybe I was super busy and I forgot to. Maybe uh, it, the new one wasn't out yet before I went home. Maybe I read the old one and then the new one came out and had new information. Like it's only one mechanism. And yes, it's my responsibility to review it, but it's only one mechanism. So you should be just bombarding them with information using whatever mechanism that you can to communicate communicate that standard. So if you have a standard, you've created your standard, you now need to communicate it. And you need to communicate it often. You need to communicate it through every medium that you have at your disposal. And then you just need to do it again and do it again and do it again. Uh, you can't get to a point where you're, you're saying it too much or you're, and I don't mean just verbalizing it too much, that you're communicating it too much. There's no such thing. You just keep doing it and doing it and doing it because the, the, problem with thinking that one or two or three or 10 mechanisms or instances of you communicating it is enough is that there's turnover, right? So, so you could get to a point where everybody in your division or department or work center knows what this one standard or two standards or three standards are, or knows your standards as a supervisor. And then you're going to get a new person and that new person's not necessarily going to know. Hopefully you've created this culture and done such a good job training your division. They're going to bring them into that culture and communicate and train them on those standards and then hold them accountable to them because 
that's the I the ideal like that's what we're working towards but you got to keep communicating them keep communicating them because you're going to get new people you're going to get new supervisors in um you're going to get people that forget or that lose sight of it or get refocused on something else or whatever uh there's no such thing as as communicating these things too much uh and also the biggest part is because there's so many barriers to communication at some point someone's going to miss out on that like you're going to you're going to communicate it like at quarters and you're going to communicate it via email and you're going to post it in the plan of the day and you're going to miss 20% of the people that you intended that message to reach and then you're going to have a bunch of problems because those people aren't going to be meeting that standard. So then once you communicate to them, right, via every medium you have at your disposal, like, hey, standards, 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 these are my standards, this is what I expect, you can you can say like, this is what I want you to do, uh, but there's a difference between just saying that this is what the standard is and then no joke, like showing them how to implement it, like training and educating on how to implement that standard. So a lot of times I see things happen where something goes wrong, right? So the, the and this was a big, big leadership lesson for me when I was on my first chief's tour where I had these standards and I expected them to do a thing, right? And I've mentioned this before where when I started off as an LPO in this division and then I took over as a chief because I didn't I didn't go to a new unit, I stayed in the same place, I thought that they knew my standard, right? And I would one of the big things for for CSs is cleanliness and sanitation, right? So if I go in the galley and you know I expect it to be clean because that's my standard and I've got very high level of of sanitation, like my sanitation standards are are real high. <laughs> it's a big deal to me. So I have high sanitation standards. I have told them I have very high sanitation standards. I expect this galley to be clean. I expect food handling practices to be top notch. I expect you guys to constantly, there's always something to clean, always. It's There's so many cracks and crevices and little nooks and crannies and it's in operation 24 seven, so there's always something to clean. Um, you're always fighting the battle to keep the bar high and you can never ever stop, otherwise the bar starts lowering. So created a standard, communicated the standard and I couldn't get I couldn't get this freaking galley clean, man. Like I I would go in there and there was just always something that wasn't clean. I'd go in there and touch the stainless steel and it was greasy or I'd have greasy dishes or dirty forks or or whatever and it was driving me nuts. And I went in there one night so frustrated about why things weren't clean. I got the whole division in there. And I'm just like, what is going on? I'm like, well, you know what's going to happen? We're going to we're gonna field day this galley until it's at the standard. And then when it's there, we're going to maintain it. I thought that was the answer. So I'm like, all right, go. And they start cleaning. And they did like they didn't know how to clean. They didn't know what they were doing. I told them I had a standard and I communicated to them, hey, this is the standard, but I never showed them how to do it. I never trained them. Turns out a whole bunch of people with zero food service experience outside of the Navy had no idea how to clean a professional kitchen. Whoops. <laughs> I, I, I had no idea. It didn't even occur to me that I, ha- I needed to teach them how to get a bucket of hot soapy water, use a, a little greenie and scrub and wipe down. Like I, it didn't even occur to me that I had to show them how to clean, but I did. And as soon as that hit me, I was like, wow, I'm an idiot. <laughs> and I jumped in there and I rolled up my sleeves and I showed them how to clean. And I never, like after that, the standard was met. Boom. Like 
created the standard, communicated the standard. They all knew exactly what I wanted. They just didn't know how to give it to me. And at the time, I was a I was a pretty immature leader. I think that's the appropriate word. Uh, you, I feel like I'm insulting myself, but it's accurate, right? I was an immature leader that didn't really understand how to uh, communicate at the level that I can now, right? So they were they were intimidated and they didn't want to tell me. They just wanted to give me what I wanted, but they didn't want to tell me that they didn't know how to do it. Uh, I had to figure that out on my own. And once I did, I felt like the village idiot and went about fixing that so that, and they, and then they felt great because they're like, oh God, now, okay, now we can give it to him. Now we can give him what he wants. Like we can all get, you know, meet the standard and we don't have to have him coming in here freaking out because the galley's not clean anymore. So you got to show them how, right? You got to make sure they understand how to meet the standard that you've communicated. And that may take a lot of explanation, a lot of training, a lot of consistent communication of, hey, this is how to do that. And there's a lot of different ways to do that, right? You just, you use all the mediums you have at your disposal, not just to communicate what your standard is, but how to meet it. And it may be as simple as explaining through the plan of the day or through an email or through you know training or just through talking at a meeting about what you what you need to do to meet that standard in addition to just what the standard is and this is this is the standard this is what it is and then this is how to meet it it may be as simple as an explanation it may be as complicated as in-depth hands-on training and doing that consistently right because i i couldn't stop going in the galley showing them how to clean things there's a lot of things in there there's a lot of equipment and cracks and crevices and all these other things and then i get new people and especially with the rotational temporary nature of food service attendants you got to teach them too right so you got to constantly stay on top of that or i'm gonna have dirty dishes the decks are gonna be gross you guys are not gonna be happy with me and my (laughs) and my my uh my division uh customer service standards right so you got to show them how you have to train them uh and then one of the things that it took me a while also to adapt uh to just to learn that it was a thing and then adapt to was i and and it's it's weird because i always wanted this so badly uh as a junior sailor and then when i got into a leadership position i thought that based on my solely my experience i was gonna like give them everything they ever wanted because I'm going to give them what I wanted as a junior sailor. So based on that, because they're junior sailors, they're going to be happy. took me a while to understand that I needed to listen, (laughs) that I needed to talk to them and ask them questions and get their feedback, get their ideas, get their input on these standards. Like, hey, this is how I want to do things. What do you guys think? Do you think this will work? Uh, initially I was kind of just trying to mold everything in, in my image, you know, like I was trying to make everything what I thought it should be. And, uh, as I mentioned a bunch of times before, I went from, uh, one class of submarine to another class of submarine to another class of submarine. So my initial submarine experience was on a different platform. It was still a submarine, but a different type. So the galley configuration is different, slightly different equipment, the layout, the, you know, the stuff they have at their disposal, like a lot of it was different than the way I did it on my first submarine. So it'd be, it kind of like, it'd be like going from a, like a frigate to a destroyer, to a cruiser. Like they're different, uh, different crew sizes, uh, different, you know, layouts and everything else. So I had to tell them like, eventually after I tried to do it all myself, there were times where I fi- I had a junior sailor that was pretty vocal and willing to speak up. And then I also kind of realized when I became the chief that I had to ask them more questions and for more feedback. And I was just like, look, how do you guys want to do this? 
Like I, I'm not like I have a lot of experience standing the watch that you're standing, but I have no experience doing it on this class of submarine. So I want, you guys are the ones that have to go in there and do it, and you're the ones with the experience on this class of submarine. So I want you to tell me like this is where I want to go. How do I get there? And I want you guys to tell me how how I should get there. And obviously that's going to go through. Uh, uh, an approval process, right? I'm going to use all my experience and level of knowledge to kind of make sure that that jives with all the policies and safety things. And, and, uh, it's going to get me, actually get me where I want to go. And that they're junior sailors. Sometimes they're going to tell you like something that they, Oh, well, we want to do it this way just cause it's easier. Uh, and you got to kind of BS check that. Right. But a lot of times if you genuinely give them, that avenue to provide input and then you actually take some of it on board or just completely give them ownership of something and the standard is really theirs but you're just putting your anchors behind it that's a huge deal because if they take ownership of the process and it was their idea they're going to be much more likely to actually conform to that standard and actually hold others accountable to it because it was their idea they made the rules in the treehouse. <laughs> like, you got to follow them. They put the sign up on the door and said, hey, this is how we're going to do things in this space, in this work center. And they're the ones that created those rules. They're going to be much more likely not just to follow them, but to enforce them, to train it, educate, and hold others accountable to, the, to those standards. Um, because they have ownership of those standards. They have ownership of that work center as a result. And you're going to see a lot better results in, in that way. And that was something that took me a long time to get that feedback, not just first, it started with allowing feedback to what I was doing, uh, it, saying like, okay, this is how I want this done. And then allowing feedback to that. But then finally I was like, why don't I just ask them before I do something? I feel like there'd be a lot less rework. It seems a little more intelligent to just bring them in now and let them get some ownership of the process. And when I saw how that worked, I mean, I, it was, I was sold immediately. Uh, I'm going to allow them ownership and involvement in the process early so that I can get it right or at least more right the first time around uh, instead of screwing it up a bunch of times and having a bunch of growing pains and then hopefully finally arriving at something that looks like the right answer. Uh, so allow them involvement. Ask them first. Ask them often. Ask them after for feedback because a lot of times their good ideas might not work, right? They might come up with a really great idea and you're like, all right, okay. And you kind of run it through your approval process and make sure everything makes sense. And they're like, all right, we're going to try it this way uh, and we'll see how it goes. And then you guys might get, you're going to get lessons learned, right? You're going to, you're going to enact some kind of a standard that uh, you think is a good idea. And then it may not be based on X, Y, and Z. Uh, and you put it into effect in real life, but you all went through it. And then you sit down and you're like, all right, why didn't it work? And you pull all the lessons learned out of it and then you make a new process or modify the existing process to work better, right? And then I kind of mentioned it earlier, when you create these standards, right? So you've created a standard, you've you've communicated that standard and you've trained and educated everybody on it. Um, part of the approval process before you actually get to the communicating and training and educating on it, and it may not always happen prior to those two steps, but it, it you should strive for that, is does it jive with policy, right? So there could be anything from like a high level Navy-wide like DOD instruction or an OPNAV or BUPERS instruction um, that covers this. And uniforms is kind of an example. Uh, fitness stuff, whatever, right? Like uh, you got to make sure that if you come up with a policy, right? Like if you're going to say that uh, Seaman Timmy can walk up and down the pier with uh, 
neon green duffel bag draped across their chest, right? Like carried, you know, over the over the head and kind of across the chest and shoulders, right? That that in fact jives with the U.S. Navy uniform regulations. Uh, you can't just say that that's cool and not consider that, right? And there may be and a no joke like operational need where like something in your organization demands that of you. Uh, and so you issue some kind of organizational duffel bag that's neon green for some safety reason, and they have to carry it that way because it's the best way to bear the weight or it's for safety or procedure or whatever. And that might be some kind of an exception, right, that you have to do that for work, right? But uh, th- you then you'd create a command policy that says only during these times or only in these places or only during these operations will you do this thing, right? Um, but you have to make sure that you're not basically contradicting uh, an instruction that is issued from a higher echelon, right? Because if you write an if you write some kind of uh, like little memorandum or you just put out a policy saying this is how we're going to do this thing and it runs contrary to an instruction, you're going to run into a lot of problems. Uh, you're going to run into problems in that junior sailors are super smart, so they're going to throw the instruction in your face, and you're going to look silly, <laughs> and you're going to be wrong. There's the added benefit of that, right? So uh, that's something that junior leaders run into a lot, uh, is you just create an, a policy because you're in a position to do so, and you don't check to make sure that it actually jives with uh, with Navy regulations, with Navy policy, because policy is different. I can create a standard on a lot of things as long as I'm coloring inside those lines, right? I can say that... Uh, Oh, let's see. I can say, like, I can make something more strict, right? So I can say, instead of boots being black and boots will be shined, right? Uh, I can say that, and I can I could write that into an instruction if I wanted to and have the CO sign it, or I could write it into a memorandum or whatever, right? I can tell you that they'll, that they'll be shined, period. And that's our policy. That's our standard. And you will conform to it. I, I can do that. I can't say that you're totally allowed to just wear jacked up boots where the steel toes showing and they're destroyed and you don't have to black them at all. I don't care what the what the regs say. And I can't say that, but I can make it more strict or I can add something on or I can say, you know, like the like the uh, prescribable uniform items, right? If this, if somebody prescribes a uniform item, it doesn't say you have to wear that uniform item, but if the CO or, or someone uh, higher authority prescribes that thou shalt wear this uniform item, then you'll do it. It's just like boot camp. They say the uniform of the day is scarf, so you're wearing your scarf. Like, it's just the way it is. I can do that. Uh, but you need to make sure you're calling inside the line. So make sure you're checking the instruction, like we always say, uh, that you're uh, making sure that whatever standards that you're creating at your command, uh, at whatever level you're creating them, or in your work center, or in your division, that they are not running contrary to an instruction, a policy, what have you, right? Especially even if it's just like a command standard. If you're like, you can't, like, the command says, hey, we're going to do this thing, and then they're like, ah, I don't think we're going to do that, you know? And, and you create the standard that just says, yeah, we're not going to do that. Everybody else can do it, but we're not going to. That's not a thing either. So you, you, you can't do that unless you get approval from the same person that said at a command level we're going to do that. It's generally going to be a case-by-case exception type thing. And then, uh, so do, you ask yourself that question, do they jive with a, a shipwide policy or a command policy or, or whatever? Um and then kind of ask yourself the question, should they? And what do I mean by that? I, I kind of sound like I'm contradicting myself, right? Is uh, if the ship has a policy of, let's say, let's say they say, um, 
we're going to do like organizational PT at a divisional level. Everybody's going to do it in the morning and uh, be at work by 09. So like PT starts at 0630 and Liberty expires at 09. And that's the standard on board USS Never Sail, right? So ask yourself the question like, okay, so they the command put that out. Hey, this is what we're doing. Okay, uh, what if the only time that you can get access to a certain piece of test gear is at 07? And you have to check it out, and then you can't return it the next day until 07. What do you do? Like, it should they? Is that Should you just maliciously comply to, to that... Uh, that standard of, well, hey, we're going to PT at this time, and then that's what we're going to do? Or should you uh, question it, ask the question, have the dialogue, and potentially get a different plan approved where you're uh, coming in at 07 and then you guys are knocking off at 1330 to go do PT, right? That that could work, and that's something that it's, it, it's different in that you're not going contrary to because you're just going off <laughs> – half cocked and deciding that you're a higher authority than your commanding officer, right? You're bringing up a problem and saying, hey, I know we just communicated the standard, but this is why it doesn't work for my division or work center. Uh, but I have this plan where we're going to just kind of flip it and do this and uh, and if that see if that works, right? Discuss it, get it approved by the person who released it as, a, as this is thou shalt do the following, right? Which is probably going to be your CO or your department head or division officer or whatever, or maybe it's just chief saying, Hey, this is what we're going to do. But if that doesn't work, then you say, Hey chief, Hey Devo, Hey, whatever, this doesn't work. This is why. And this is the plan I have for a solution based on the why, right? You're going to have a lot more success if you bring a solution to the problem instead of just bringing a problem. Um, but it ask yourself the pro, the question like do they jive with policy with the, any shipwide policy and then say should they because there's definitely the, the dichotomy of everything is that you're gonna have to find yourself in this position of like say the command puts out a policy and it may or may not apply to you generally it will obviously because you're a member of the ship's compliment, right? And uh, it may not make any sense for you though as a work center or as a division or even as a department, whatever, uh, to to do it that way. You're gonna have to ask yourself the question, should we really be doing this? And if we shouldn't, what are we gonna do about it? Um, that's kind of the danger of just saying, well, that's the standards. Like, that's what you're gonna do. Okay, uh, do you want your organization to function at a high level and be efficient, or do you just want me to maliciously comply to to some standard that you put out without providing any feedback or input? It's kind of kind of goes back. It's it's a larger scale model of what I talked about at the divisional level of allowing that feedback and asking for it often. You're gonna encounter a situation where you're gonna say, "Hey, this is what we want to do," uh, and you're gonna think that you thought about all those things and that you got all that input. Uh, and it happens a lot more at the higher leadership levels because they get input from leaders, right? From department chiefs and department heads that are more detached from the deck plate. So they're going to think they thought of everything without necessarily getting all the input from you guys. And then they're going to put it into effect. And there's going to be this huge collective groan and like a whole big uproar of uh, what, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? This makes no sense. And that's when you know you've missed an opportunity for uh, input and feedback. 
So why are they such a big deal? Why do we constantly talk about standards? Uh, I think, and this is something that's been like weighing on me a lot as I've noticed and these, these things come up and I've, I've had these conversations, uh, and I've noticed in kind of just my daily routine that, uh, more and more I'm, I'm getting convinced even further. It's kind of, uh, stealing my resolve in that I really believe that the little things matter more than people think they do. Um, one of the things that I constantly jump up and down about is, is uniform appearance, right? And I recently saw something on social media about how chiefs basically try to convince uh, junior sailors that the uniform appearance is important because you represent those who came before you, something I've talked about. And I really do believe, uh, but the, the, the comeback was basically uh, that sailors used to like... Uh, wear beards, not get their haircuts, have ponytails covered in tar, and that's why we had the cape on the back of the whites, and they rolled up their dress white bell bottoms so they could swap decks and and uh would go out partying in their dress whites and stuff. Like they basically that the the sailors that we're talking about honoring didn't wear the uniform that way, so why should they have to? And while logically the point might make sense, <laughs> the thing that I realized lately and that I don't think I've ever articulated at least via this platform is that it's a standards thing it's a it's almost like it's almost like i want to say do it because you're supposed to but the the why behind you're supposed to is that the standard is that you maintain your uniform and that you take pride in your appearance and that's an organizational standard that is part of an organization you voluntarily joined right so you when you volunteered, you agreed to meet those standards that were communicated and were trained uh, repetitively when you were in boot camp. Then we get out to the fleet, and for whatever reason, the standard's not taken seriously because not a lot of people put time and effort into maintaining their uniform. Not that people, I'm not, I'm not attacking anyone. I'm just saying, like if you if you walk across the fleet, there's a big difference between what sailors look like on a daily basis as you walk across ships and squadrons and submarines and, and shore commands than if you walked through RTC, right? Or you walked into a recruiting command. They take appearance a lot more seriously for different reasons, but it's just not the same. So, right, you go to a training command, it's a lot different. And that's because they're training and, and downloading that standard into these new accession sailors. But then when they get out to the fleet, it's like, meh, it's not as big of a deal. That bothers me because I think that it's kind of like that broken window theory. It's like the the first thing to go is stuff like that. And all of that is they're little building blocks to good order and discipline. And this all sounds like I'm uh, just parroting the party line of, of trying to get sailors to do what they're supposed to do because they're supposed to do it. But what I mean when I say this is that if you want to be at a good command, right? If you want to be a part of an organization that does it the right way and that has good morale and that is that unicorn organization that we talk about but seldom have actually experienced. <laughs> I have experienced it. And a lot of the things that I'm talking about were like the building blocks for that. It's, you can't have one without the other. So in, in order to establish a command climate and create a, a culture where 
you get to go to work and things are productive and leadership is on top of things and sailors are getting taken care of and maintenance is happening and people are getting the liberty that they need to go do the things that they need to do, even though it's demanding and it's hard work, everybody's there and they're bought in and they're working hard towards mission accomplishment and it's not perfect, it's not rainbows and unicorns, but when every sailor I know that left the organization that I was a part of that met this this standard, right, this culture that I talk about, every single one of them measures every command they go to against that one, and none of them ever measure up. And maybe it's a fairy tale we created in our own head, but we're all independently looking back at that and being like, they did it right there. They had it right there. We had a... a chemistry there and a culture there where things were happening the right way and it was happening the right way because things were were taken seriously like uniform standards were taken seriously punctuality small things professionalism treating everybody with dignity and respect it's all these little things were were taken very seriously and it, it sometimes can feel like you're kicking anthills right where you're just like why are they why are they making such a big deal out of a meeting starting on time why are they making such a huge deal out of uniform appearance why are they making such a big deal out of the quarterdeck watch doing what they're supposed to be doing why are they making such a big deal out of someone's like following some kind of protocol or custom and courtesy or whatever you pick one why why is it such a big deal that I have my hands in my pockets? Because it's a policy. It's in a book. It says thou shalt do the following. It's it's there's no question there. There's no like room for argument until they make that until the CNO gets on Facebook Live and says, "Guess what? I'm making it go away," which could happen any minute. <laughs> like until that happens, the standard is that you don't do that. And everyone knows the standard is to not have your hands in your pockets. So what does it communicate? Small or insignificant or stupid or whatever. What does it communicate when you as a leader or you as a sailor are standing there in your uniform looking like you slept in it, looking like you didn't shave and you haven't gotten a haircut in a month with your hands in your pockets and your boots all scuffed up and looking like crap and you know your stupid little strings from this freaking uniform pants are sticking out or you didn't even bother to use blousing straps because they're built in even though it's required and like you name it name it because that's that's i just listed like eight different things that i i see on a daily basis and and instead of it just being because it's not just one thing it's not you're not just putting your hands in your pockets you're just not taking your uniform appearance seriously. And if you're not taking that seriously, are people taking you seriously? And that's how it escalates. Start small, something really small, something stupid, something insignificant. And then we're not like you're coming to work with filthy pants and holes in your uniform and boots that are just destroyed. And and then it professionalism takes a huge hit. If you can't look professional... How are you going to be professional? And if you don't think that looking unprofessional leads to acting unprofessional, hit me up and we'll talk about it and I'll explain all the reasons why that's not true and why looking like a hot mess in your uniform leads to you acting like a hot mess while you're wearing your uniform and leads to an organization, good order and discipline, breaking down. And that's why standards are such a big deal. It's like it's small or large, creating standards 
communicating those standards, training and educating people on those standards, and then the big one at the end here, holding people accountable to those standards is a big deal. I am the get your hands out of your pockets guy. If you run into me in public and you have your hands in your pockets, I'm going to tell you to take them out. If you'd like to talk about it, ask. I've had a bunch of conversations with sailors about why I care about that. And I wish I would have done more to explain. Uh, I spent a lot of time talking about the importance of heritage to me and that one of the ways that I honor those that have gone before me is I maintain my uniform at a high level. Is that the reason why you should do it? No, it's not. It's my reason. And I think it should be part of everyone's reason, but it's my reason. It's what gets me to do that. And really, it's it's the way in which I represent myself and the reason that I communicate, but it's because people are watching me. Yes, I do it to honor them, but I do it because people are watching me. Like, it's not just that I feel like Dory Miller's watching me, even though that's like a small part of it, but I know junior sailors are watching me. And if I want to lead by example and I want to be the leader that they should follow, I need to give them something to follow. And if I can't follow my own standards and if I can't follow the uniform standards that are in a book that are directed from flag officer levels that are built into us in boot camp, if I can't live up to the simplest, most basic standards that they taught us at RTC, why should you listen to anything I say ever? And you should ask yourself that question if you're sitting here rolling your eyes because I'm talking about hands in your pockets. I'm, I purposely chose that example because that's what it solicits an eye roll every time you talk about it. But ask yourself why. Why does it solicit that eye roll? I'm the first one to say the second they remove it, the second the CNO and McPon get on Facebook Live, I'm going to have my hands in my pockets. It's probably not true, but I'm just saying. Like, I, I, I'll never say it to anybody ever again. Because it won't be in the book anymore. The end. But because it is, and it like, you can roll your eyes all you want. You can think it's insignificant and stupid and just non-material to anything all you want. But I just explained to you why it is. You have to hold people accountable to those standards. So yeah, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do and tell people to take their hands out of their pockets. And if I get the opportunity, I'm going to explain why and hope that it lasts longer than me walking out of the, out of like line of sight for them to put their hands back in their pockets. But if I accomplish nothing else, then maintaining the respect they have for me as a leader Because I'm supposed to tell them that, and they know I'm supposed to tell them that, and half the time, more than half the time, 80% of the time, when I walk into a room, everybody takes their hands out of their pockets, because they know it's coming. So am I fixing fixing the fact that people have their hands in their pockets? No, I'm not. I'll be the first to admit it. I wish I knew how, but at this point, until I'm the McPon, which will never happen, (laughs) I can't fix that. And even, I don't even think the McPon can fix that. Like, could could we build in a big cultural shift where we take uniform regulations more seriously over the long term sure yeah I could talk about that but it would be boring but am I fixing that no it would be cool if I could but I'm not I'm not a wizard it'd be neat if I had a lightning bolt scar but I don't but what I am doing is showing people that I'm not just saying these things like you're not going to catch me with my hands in my pockets 
Like once in a great while, I've been in the chief's quarters or something in, in a deep conversation and I've stuck my hand in my pocket. It's a thing I do in civilian clothes. And so like I'm a human being and I've been caught a few times, but I, you're not going to see me doing that in front of a group of sailors. You're not going to see me with a jacked up uniform. You're not going to see me grossly needing a haircut. You're not going to see me forgetting to shave, right? Like it, it's not going to happen. And it's not because I'm perfect. It's not because I'm infallible. It's not because I'm better than anyone. It's because I understand how I'm perceived and how big of a deal that is when we're talking about credibility. It, I understand that how seriously I'm taken as a leader when I'm trying to enforce standards, when I'm trying to propel an organization forward towards mission accomplishment, that if I'm the, the hypocrite that's saying, get your hands out of your pockets and I have my hands in my pockets, that they're not taking me seriously. Junior sailors see you. They see you, and if you say you can't park there and then a bunch of chiefs are parking there, they see that, and they're immediately branding all of us as hypocrites. If you say that it's really important that you review those orders every day and initial that block and then you're not doing it, or the watch station manned by chiefs isn't doing it, then we're all hypocrites. We're all liars. We're all lazy. We can't communicate a standard and train on a standard, and then hold everyone else accountable to a standard. That's why I tell chiefs to get their hands out of their pockets, and I will do it publicly. Because it's important that junior sailors see us do that. And if if we kind of downloaded that into our DNA as an organization, you'd know, and I mean, you can almost like wink at each other and know that you're just building leadership capital by publicly correcting another chief. Instead of a human being's pride getting hurt and someone getting mad that, well, why are you calling me out like that, bro? Like, stop it because you're wrong. Just say thank you and keep it moving. And in good organizations where peer-to-peer enforcement is encouraged, that's what happens, right? Say thank you for the backup and you fix yourself and you keep it moving. I have a game with another another chief that uh, I say the word bodies sometimes. Like I say, hey, I need six bodies for this working party or whatever. And he corrects me and says, sailors. (laughs) And he's almost fixed me completely. Sometimes I slip up now, but I immediately correct myself. But it's stuff like that. It's it's a game almost where he corrects me. uh, And I mean... You could say I'm wrong. You could say I'm not, whatever. But I've it's something a lot of people say, hey, I need this many bodies for this thing. Every time I do it, he immediately is like sailors. He just says sailors. He, he'll, he won't even look up from what he's doing. He'll just sailors. <laughs> like sailors, yeah, I need six sailors for this thing that I'm doing. Um, anyway, thanks for the backup. But it's like a game. Like, ah, he got me again. You know what I mean? Like, And I feel like that's how it should be. should be okay for us to correct each other, but... It should be a standard in our organization for everyone to conform to the standards, not just the people that are subordinate to us. That's not how that works. And that's not, you're never going to get taken seriously and you're never going to be able to to create, to communicate, to train and educate on, and then enforce any standards. They're not going to be standards. They're just going to be these selectively enforced things that no one takes seriously. That's why everybody's got their hands in their pockets. Uh, that's it. That's what I got for you today. Uh, if again, I always open to your guys' feedback. Uh, I'm glad to finally get this one out of my brain. I kept writing stuff down about it. Uh, and I over and over again, wanted to, wanted to talk about it and get something uh, recorded. Um, which is why I mentioned it a little bit in the last one, but stuff coming up. I got to get back in touch with a few people about, uh, some things I got in my brain, but, uh, we've got, 
I realized recently I had never recorded the Navy App Locker episode. I don't know how that happened, so I'm going to get that one done uh, in the next few days. Uh, I've got a mental health discussion coming up, which I'm pretty excited about. I got to get the kind of like discussion points down uh, and then make sure uh, the chief I'm going to be talking to about that is uh, is ready to go on his end. And then uh, I've got some other exciting projects coming up uh, with another chief where uh, a group of sailors are going to take ownership of a podcast, uh, which I'm really excited about. And I am completely open to anyone else uh, that wants to do that and has the equipment to do it. I want to keep the audio quality pretty decent, I, I, but you guys have heard some of my old stuff, like hey, do what you got to do, but if you have a microphone uh, that that is something you can record with, and as like a Sailor 360 or First Class Petty Officer Association or even like a Second Class Petty Officer group or whatever, or some kind of other organization wants to do that, uh, get in contact with me. It was I never thought of the idea. A chief reached out to me and said, hey, how would you feel about a group of uh, Sailor 360 first class petty officers taking ownership of an episode, uh, getting a topic together and talking about it. And it like melted my brain. <laughs> I was like, that's an amazing idea because I love the discussions. Um, I, I've done, only done the one so far. I've got a couple other lined up uh, that I just got to find the time to prep for really. Uh, I mean, I've, I've got the time to record. I just need the time to do a little bit of research and prep for, but the, uh, the idea of just me doing an introduction to maybe a history segment and then just teeing it up and then having a recording of you all uh, talking through an issue, um, presenting a topic. Uh, I'm not an expert on everything. A lot of times when I when I go into topics that are policy-based, I have to do a ton of research. I have experience with a lot of different things. I have like a like very diverse experience in certain things, but there's a lot of things that I don't know, uh, especially specialized stuff. Uh, so if, if there are experts out there on things that want to... Wanna, um, take ownership of an episode and present that as a subject matter expert. All of those things I am totally down for. I think it'd be really, really cool uh, to have that type of involvement. Uh, I thought it was a brilliant idea. So thank you, Chief. Uh, I know you're listening, but yeah. And I'd love to do that just as a concept. I think it'd be really cool. And I think that's it. Good luck to everybody tomorrow. Uh, Results being uh, released to the triad. Uh, you probably won't hear this until after they're out, but good luck anyway. Uh, and for those of you that don't get selected, uh, check out the first, they were firsts post. I shared it on the page, uh, from command mass sheep bell. It's, it's something we talk about during the season, uh, to remind chief selects that, uh, a lot of times you get into a, into a point during the process where you kind of get beat down and you start to take it for, take for granted the fact that you were selected to chief and that there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of first-class petty officers that were port eligible that would trade places with you in a heartbeat. And so for those of those of you not selected, uh, you're still leaders, right? You're still very important to mission accomplishment. So uh, keep your head up if you're not selected tomorrow. But for those of you that are, congratulations. If you need anything, uh, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message me. Don't give up the ship podcast. Or you can DM me on Instagram at DGUS Podcast. Uh, if you need anything, have any questions uh, about the season, uh, the initiation process, how it works, you're stressed out, you need to throw out a lifeline, or for the first class petty officers that aren't selected, you just need to talk, hit me up. I'm always here. Uh, I'm about to be on transfer leave, uh, so I'll have plenty of time to not just catch up on projects, but to talk to you guys about whatever you need. Uh, and that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening, and don't give up the ship. 